As our text for this evening, we'll look at the entire chapter that we read this evening. There's no particular verse that I want to call your attention to. We simply want to learn the lessons from this history, from the Word of God. And so as we reflect on the Lord's providence this evening in providing this house of worship for our church family, we marvel, don't we? Or we ought to marvel at His faithfulness. As you began, you wondered where you would end up. Started worshiping in the little United Methodist Church over on the uh, west end of town. I believe it was United Methodist anyway. Regardless, a small white church in the woods. Then you moved to the gym of the local Christian school. And then the Lord crossed paths between you and the people that used to worship here. You worshiped here for about a year, and then all of a sudden it seemed you could buy this building, and the congregation pulled together and bought this building, now free of debt. It is the Lord's provision. And then a week later, you received the happy news that Pastor Elsout accepted the call. Everything came together in a marvelous way. And so we look back and we see the Lord's faithfulness, His hand. But tonight, we are not only called to look back, we're also called to look ahead to see what the Lord will do further in His faithfulness. So often, we look back Our present experience of the Lord's faithfulness makes us pause, makes us static, as it were, in our life as believers and as a church. We forget to look forward. And so there's a real danger that when we experience the Lord's provision and faithfulness that we we settle back and we begin to focus on our own priorities. That was the danger that the returning exiles faced. The Lord had returned them in His faithfulness. But then they settled back on their own priorities. And so we need to guard against this this danger that is present because of the fickleness of the human heart. We need to guard against this spiritual danger. The present experience and the past experience of the Lord's provision and faithfulness should always spur us on to fresh zeal for the Lord's cause and for the Lord's kingdom, for the building of the Lord's house. For the Lord not only to provide a house of worship, but for Him to build a spiritual house, to build His body, to build His church within this place to build a spiritual house from all nations beginning here. And so let us learn this evening the lessons from history when the people of God lose their focus and become static in their zeal for God's kingdom and His priorities and how the Lord comes and He he rips them up as it were. He corrects them, He rebukes them, and He refocuses their priorities. And I pray that he will refocus and keep focus on his priorities. And to teach us that he will build his house, not merely a physical house for his people, 
as we commemorate his faithfulness, but a spiritual house made up of his people. And so our theme tonight is this, the Lord will build his house. And he does so through the diagnosis of skewed priorities. And secondly, he does so through the demand for serious pondering. And thirdly, he does so through the delivering of spiritual prosperity. And so the Lord will build his house through the diagnosis of skewed priorities. So here are these exiles. The Jews had returned to Jerusalem. They found the city and the temple desolate, lying in ruins as they came back under the leadership of Zerubbabel, one of the descendants, the royal descendants of King David. Upon the return, there is some good progress made in rebuilding the temple, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, but soon the work faces opposition, and we know that, that history. In the face of opposition, the rebuilding soon grinds to a halt. In the face of opposition and a lack of cohesion among these returning exiles, among the remnant, what was the default position as they faced opposition? It was to fall back into the pursuit of their own personal comforts. To fall back into the pursuit of their own priorities instead of God's priorities and the pursuit of His kingdom and the rebuilding of the house of worship. And so here's the first lesson from history tonight. We need to beware lest opposition to the work of God in this place leads us to follow our own priorities instead of the Lord's. As we reflect back, in God's providence, we've seen His timing unfold for us in providing this place of worship. And since this is the case then, let us fix God's priorities in building His kingdom, in building His spiritual house, and use this place that God has provided for us as the place from which the Lord will build His spiritual house. God came to the people. He diagnoses their skewed priorities. And He says in verse 2, He says, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. What were the people doing? They were looking at all the opposition. They were looking at the circumstances around themselves. And they said, it's not the time to rebuild the Lord's house. It's not the time to to go about the work of the kingdom. The opposition is too great. Let's wait for a more convenient time until the opposition has subsided. And then we we can go about building the Lord's house in peace. Well, the Lord doesn't leave them alone. He calls them to account It's the Lord's word that comes over against what the people are saying. It's the Lord's word over against the people's word. It's the Lord's priorities over against the people's priorities. They said the time has not yet come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And then the word of the Lord comes through the prophet Haggai and calls the people back to his priorities and to his worship. He diagnoses their misplaced 
priorities. He says in verse 4, it's a time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste. God came to them and He said, is it time for you to dwell in your, in your paneled houses, your decorated houses, while my house lies in waste? Are you really going to be focused on decorating and living in your own homes, but you're not going to rebuild my house? They questioned the timing of building the Lord's house because of the opposition, and so they retreat back into their own houses. And they leave off the work of the kingdom. They saw the opposition and they reinterpreted God's will and said, It's probably not time right now because the opposition is so heavy. And so God comes to them through His word, through His prophet, and He calls them to account for their skewed and misplaced priorities. In verse 9 again, He diagnoses these priorities and he reminds them that his house is is lying in ruins and, and yet every man is running to his own house. An indication that the people were living according to their own agenda and not God's. And here again are lessons for us tonight. To beware lest we focus on our own comforts, on our own houses, on our own agendas, on our own priorities, to the exclusion of God's house and His kingdom. We need to beware lest we reinterpret God's will for the church today and say that because the opposition is so great, it's probably not the time to focus on kingdom priorities. Rather, let us learn tonight that the time of opposition is precisely the time in which God builds His house and expands His kingdom. When a church and people who profess the name of God set their own personal priorities over God's, then you know that God's will has been reinterpreted. And when that happens, God will come. He will sovereignly reset. He will correct. He will reprimand His people as He does here in the prophecy of Haggai. To reset those priorities. To refocus on Him. And so the question is this tonight, isn't it? As we dedicate this house of worship to the Lord, what priorities will guide us? What priorities will guide its ministry to the church within these walls and to the world outside of these walls? Will it be our priorities or will it be God's? Will we look at the world and the culture around us and will we say, will we say well, the opposition is so heavy, surely God doesn't want us to, to go out right now. We, we just need to wait until the opposition is a bit less. When we can go out in peace. Well, God comes to us tonight and He asks us, will you retreat to your own homes when the kingdom of God lies in ruins, as it were? 
You see, God comes and He diagnoses skewed priorities in this history so that we can see tonight the consequences of misplacing our priorities and what we must do then to return to those priorities or retain those priorities. You see, we can start well. We can start well as a church and as a church family. But ultimately, it matters how we finish. Will we retain the priorities that God has set for us in the preaching of the gospel, the ministry to the saints, to the people in this place, to the younger generation, to the, to the community in which God has placed us? God will build His house. And He wants us to understand that His priorities must have the preeminence. That's why He comes and He diagnoses them in this history so that we might learn, that we might be warned to preserve and retain God's priorities as our own. Secondly, the Lord's diagnosis leads to a demand for serious pondering because it's not enough for us to point out the problem, is it? These skewed priorities and the returning exiles had profound consequences. The reality is that when we misplace our priorities, they invite the judgment and the discipline of the Lord. That is how serious He takes the priorities we set for our own individual lives as believers, but also covenantally and corporately as a church. The priorities we set for the church and its ministry and the work of the kingdom. Listen to how the Lord describes these consequences in the words of Haggai. In verse 6, he describes how all their work and effort in agriculture and economy have brought forth little fruit. There's lots of effort, but little to show for it. In verse 9 again, we see the futility of, of their effort and work. And this futility, we read, was divinely appointed by God Himself to call His people back, to reset their priorities in terms of the kingdom of God, in terms of the rebuilding of the house of God. He says their eye did blow upon it. God saw all their hard work and he, he blew upon it and He brought it to nothing because they were focused on themselves, on their comforts. They were focused on their house rather than on the Lord's house. They were focused on their kingdom rather than on the Lord's kingdom. In verses 10 and 11, the Lord describes a divinely appointed drought to to discipline these covenant people, to remind them that they had misplaced their priorities. But we need to remember that the Lord brought hardship not to destroy, but to correct and to restore Indeed, as the Jews return from exile, the Lord brought hardship. The place of anticipated blessing upon return to the land of promise, 
to the city of Jerusalem, to, to the house of the Lord that lay in ruins, the place of anticipated blessing had now turned into an experienced curse because of an emphasis on their own comforts, on their own house, on their own, com- on their own kingdom. So here's another lesson for us. When the Lord comes to diagnose and to discipline, He does it so that we might rightly learn and follow His priorities. And so as we dedicate this house of the Lord tonight to Him and to the work of His kingdom, let us mark this lesson well, lest we invite the discipline of the Lord and He brings our work to nothing. Let us keep it, let, let it keep our hearts sensitive towards the Lord and towards His priorities so that we can experience the spiritual prosperity of the Lord as we'll see in our last thought tonight. And so God does not discipline arbitrarily but so that we might be led to seriously ponder and ponder our ways and repent if we are living according to misplaced priorities. Did you notice in the text how each description of this divine chastisement is begun with this demand for serious pondering? In verse 5, consider your ways. And then a description of this chastisement. In verse 7 again, consider your ways. And then a description of judgment that has come for the actions and attitudes towards the house of the Lord. And so the Lord calls His people to give careful thought to their ways, to their lives, to their hearts, to their priorities. And that's the message to us as well. Seriously ponder your ways, the Lord says. And so tonight is a joyful night. And yet it's also a solemn night, isn't it, for us to consider our priorities as a church. It's God's call to us this evening to give careful thought to our ways as individuals and as a church. We're called to do so in light of what God calls His people to be and to do. And so God's affliction of His people in this instance, in this history, is so that they might turn back to Him and so that we might continue to, to live close to Him. We can have our priorities right now. But what will our priorities be in five years? In ten years? Let's remain close to the Lord tonight. Let's ponder our ways still. Though we have not yet experienced divine chastisement because of misplaced priorities. Let us remember this lesson. We are to consider our ways so that we might always have God's priorities as our own. To recognize that our sense of right timing for kingdom building can be opposed to God's timing. But to use the opportunity that He has given to us right now as a congregation with this building, with our worship, with the gospel entrusted to us to build that which has been broken down by the enemy 
to be used as instruments in the hands of the Redeemer for the salvation of the lost within and without the walls of this church. So that our priorities remain what God calls them to be as we move from the mark that He has set for us. And so the Lord diagnoses these priorities, misplaced priorities. He calls for serious pondering, for serious reflection and repentance and humbling before Himself. Not just once, not just as a result of His divine chastisement, but as a lifestyle of of living in humility before God. In a lifestyle of repentance before God, of keeping short accounts before God of keeping His priorities before our eyes so that He might deliver us into the spiritual prosperity that He intends for His people through the building of His kingdom, through the building of His house. That's what we see in our third thought tonight. It's through the obedience of the leaders and the people to the Word of God as it comes to them, as it unsettles them, as it brings them from the fear of man to the fear of God, that God brings spiritual prosperity. When spiritual priorities are realigned and the people are concerned once more about the house of God and the cause of God and the worship of God, it is then that God is glorified. As He says in verse 8, Go up to the mountain and bring wood and, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified saith the Lord. The Lord uses means to build His house. The reality is that the Lord uses people, fallen sinners like you and me, to build His kingdom, to bring glory to Himself. And so He calls us tonight to focus on His priority, on His purpose, on His glory, on His timetable. The time to build the house of God, the time to be engaged in the work of the kingdom is now. And that's what this history encourages us to as a church family tonight. So we might experience spiritual prosperity under the hand of God, under the the Spirit of God coming through the, the means of grace to mature His people, to bring life to the dead, to be a witness in a fallen and broken and hostile world that is opposed to the very work of God. But how does God move His people to build His house? How does He encourage us tonight to engage in the work of building His kingdom? By bringing to mind five things in application. He brings to mind the name of the Lord. Four times in this chapter, God designates Himself with a special name. The Lord of hosts. In the original language, the Lord of Sabaoth. He reminds them first of His eternal covenant, unbreakable and steadfast and true, that He has made with His people. The Lord. Yahweh, the covenant Lord. He does not change. His word never wavers. His covenant remains stable and sure. 
His kingdom will come. But He is the Lord of Sebaoth. He is the Lord of the armies. All the hosts of heaven are on His side. It reminds us, doesn't it, when God appeared to Joshua. Joshua wanted to know who the captain of the Lord of hosts was on, whose side he was on. And God doesn't answer him. Whether he's on the side of Israel or on the side of of the Canaanites, the people who lived in Jericho. He says, for the Lord of hosts, I am now come. He's on the Lord's side. He is going to do his will. And we're reminded of that again in these words, in this name. He's on his own side. He's on his own timetable. He's in it for his own glory. He's in it for his own purpose. He's in it for his kingdom. He calls you and I this evening to be on his side. The side that has already won the battle in the cross of Calvary where the Lord of Sebaoth revealed that name in all its glory. As the hosts of hell came against his son, God declared, I am the Lord of Sebaoth. It's in the conquering king that I am come and have won the victory that my kingdom will prosper. The house will be built. The battle has been won in the cross of Calvary and the open tomb, the empty tomb of the risen Savior. This is the Lord our God, the Lord of Sebaoth, as he reminded the people of Israel then. He reminds us now As all the forces came in opposition against the building of the temple, God says, I am the Lord of Sebaoth, the host of of heaven. I marshal them so that the work can continue. And so as we dedicate this building tonight for His service and for His kingdom, we do so with the recognition that He has and will overcome all opposition through the ministry of His church in this place. Not because of our programs, not because of the preacher that stands behind the sacred desk, no. Not because of the people that gather here, no. Because He is the eternal covenant-keeping Lord and He is the Lord of the armies. His cause will progress in spite of opposition to it. What did Jesus say to His disciples? when they professed that He was the Christ. It was upon that rock that He would build His church, upon Himself. And the gates of hell would not prevail against it. His kingdom will push actively and offensively against the gates of hell and opposition, and He will build His church. Beloved, that's our encouragement tonight. The Lord of Sebaoth will build His church will build his house. He will ensure spiritual prosperity because of who he is. And so let our focus be there tonight. He brings to mind the Lord's offices. It's interesting to know that in this passage there's an emphasis on the threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. In the space of 13 verses, 14, 15 verses, the prophet, the priest, and the king are mentioned several times. It's here that we understand the Christology of the passage. 
There is Zerubbabel who, in his office of governor as a descendant of the royal King David, reflects the kingship of Christ. Zerubbabel, of course, lived in weakness. And yet, in the midst of that weakness, we are called to look to Christ, our perfect King, who rules and protects His church, the fulfillment of the seed of David seated on the throne of heaven, never failing, but he will build his house, an everlasting house. If you want to read more of that, read 2 Samuel 7. Then there's Joshua the high priest, who in his office of high priest reflects the priesthood of Christ. Let us ever look to Christ then, who shed his blood for his church and continues to intercede for her at the right hand of the Father. That too is for our encouragement tonight. It's my prayer that the message of the blood of the cross would ever be central in this place because it's through that message that God builds His church. And there's Haggai the prophet who in his office of prophet reflects the prophetic nature of Christ and His Word. So let us ever tune our ears to the Word of Christ, to the written living Word, and to the incarnate living Word as He graciously calls sinners from darkness to light and rebukes and corrects His people, comforts and encourages them to seek His priorities. And so we see that it's through the threefold office of Christ that the Lord will build His church. That's what He brings to mind this evening for us. Thirdly, He brings to mind His own Word. Notice what it says in verse 12. The leaders and the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as their Lord their God had sent him. And the people did fear before the Lord. What is it that changed the priorities of the people of God in that time? It was the very word of God, the voice of God as it came through the mouth of the prophet. The misplaced priorities give way to softened and pliable hearts at the voice of God. The fear of the enemy gives way to the fear of God. Not a slavish fear, but a fear that is marked by reverence and love for God. We could say a holy awe and love for God ripples through the remnant as a result of hearing the the very voice of God. And so as we dedicate this building for the service of the Lord and for His kingdom, let's go in and out of these doors with a focus on hearing the voice of God that transcends the voice of a man. But it's through the voice of a man that stands behind the desk and proclaims the gospel that we hear the voice of God. It's the means of the preaching that God uses to build His house. Let us respond with obedience to God's call for repentance, for faith, for sanctification, for kingdom work, and a heart 
filled with holy awe and love for God, for the God who fills this place with His Spirit. You see, it's the ministry of the Word that is central to the rebuilding of the house of the Lord in this narrative, but also in the house of the Lord in this day and age. It's central to spiritual prosperity coming to the people of God. Let's always bring this to mind, to stay focused on the Word, the voice of God. And fourthly, he brings to mind his own presence. Verse 13, then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you, saith the Lord. It's astounding, isn't it? The people had misplaced their priorities. They went back into their own houses. God calls them out of hiding in their own houses. And he says, now is the time to build the house. And he encourages them. He says, I am with you. A message of grace, a message of mercy, a message of power. God reminds them and us that he's present with his people. It's his covenant word. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What does that remind us of? It reminds us, it tells us that God actually doesn't need a physical house to be present. If we think of Stephen's sermon in Acts 7, what did he say to those who are watching? To those who had placed faith in a temple. He says the God of heaven and earth cannot be contained in a temple that is made with hands. He's present with his people. If we would have had to worship in the woods or in a barn, the same promise would have gone with us. The Lord is with us. The temple becomes the special symbol of his presence with his people, of course. But isn't this the ultimate statement of spiritual prosperity? The mark of the riches of the people of God that God is with them. The Lord's presence with His people. As we dedicate this building tonight, this house of worship, let us do so taking hold of this message from the Lord through His messengers. I am with you. Let this encourage us. Let this serve to to work in us a a spirit of of zeal for the the kingdom of God. And if the focus is not on a building to contain the Lord's presence, it reminds us of the New Testament focus of the church, that it's more than just a physical building, even though this is a wonderful provision of God. But we can say tonight that it's within this provision, it's within this building that God sets up a building that is far more beautiful and glorious in scope than any physical building can capture. We walk around this building. We say the structure is sound. This building will serve our church family for years to come, for perhaps even generations. But the church, the house that God is building within this church will outlast this building, 
will last into eternity for the glory of God where he dwells in the midst of his people forever. The Lamb of God himself will be with us. He will feed us. In the time being, he inhabits the building of his people through his blessed spirit to encourage us and to empower us for the work of his kingdom. And that's the fifth and final thing that he brings to mind. It's the Lord's people, his people. Verse 14, we read how the Lord stirred up his people to do his work. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. The spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest. The spirit of all the remnant of the people of God. And they came and did the work in the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. The Lord comes by his spirit. As he dwells in his people to stir them up, to do his work for his cause and for his kingdom. What an encouragement to us tonight. The Lord in his perfect timing in such a marvelous way provides this place for his glory to bring to mind who he is, to bring to mind that he is with us, to bring to mind that it's through the threefold office of Christ that he he builds his church, his house. It's through his word primarily that his house is built. He's done these things. Not just so that we can sit back and look out for our own comforts now and say we have a church building. We've dedicated it to the Lord. But no, tonight should mark a renewed zeal for the glory of God in this world, for the glory of God in this place. And so as we dedicate this church building to the Lord, to His work, and to His kingdom, let us have God's priorities as our own, constantly pondering our ways before Him and seeking spiritual prosperity through His presence with us so we might be stirred up for service in his kingdom as the Lord builds his house. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank thee for thy word, for this history, with its warning and with its encouragement. We pray, Lord, that we would heed thy word, that tonight would mark a fresh zeal for thy name, for thy glory, for thy kingdom. We thank thee for the encouragement contained in these words. Let these words, these reminders, continue to serve us into the future. Be that which guides the ministry of this church. Lord, how we need thee constantly, daily, hourly, moment by moment to keep us in the way, to keep thy priorities as our own, to constantly ponder our ways before thee, to call to mind these truths and these realities. And so, Lord, we pray that thou wilt use us to build thy house, 
the glorious house, which no earthly temple could ever compare to, a house that is built upon blood, the blood of thy own dear Son, the blood that continues to purify thy church until one day that church will be complete, that house will be complete, and that will dwell in that house forever, the centerpiece, the glorious centerpiece, Christ being all and in all. And so may this church and its ministry serve as a small part of that glorious plan. We pray this now in Jesus' name alone. Amen.